When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast at SlyOffice.com. Uh, the operating engineers, Local 139, and the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, sponsor the program. Joining us now from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, at least on a special assignment, it is Craig Gilbert. Craig, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. It was great to see you the other day in Milwaukee at the at the press club. That was a good event. It was fun. It's always fun to talk about what's going on, uh, the Wisconsin political landscape and the election cycle ahead, because it's always interesting and it's always relevant. You probably knew what question I was going to ask, too. <laughs> it's all ready for you. <laughs> all right. Now, you wrote a piece about the transformational change in Wisconsin with the legislative elections coming up. What did you notice about these maps? Well, I mean, the caveat here, of course, is that this, assuming there's no further uh, uh, court fight or intervention by judges in this plan, and it, and, it, and it is the plan that we go into with the 2024 elections, it's a massive change. I mean, it is, it is roughly speaking, a level playing field in the sense that uh, there's an e- pretty much an equal number of districts that lean toward Republicans and lean toward Democrats. There's a handful of competitive seats. And, and what it means is that I, either party, under the right circumstances, could win control of the legislature, certainly of the Assembly. There's a little bit of a caveat with the state Senate because those elections are staggered and half the state Senate has already been elected in the previous cycle. So Republicans actually have a leg up um, which we can talk about for the state Senate, but the state assembly would certainly be in play in 2024. And we haven't had this since really the 2010 elections, which was a big, huge Republican wave, but it was the last election done under the map that was in place during the 2000s, and it was a competitive map. So that was the last time we had a competitive legislative map. So it's been you know, much more than a decade where um, legislative elections were not only predictable, but all, you know, close to predetermined. So people ask the question all the time, how can Wisconsin elect Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin? Uh, You want to explain that? Are we the tale of two states? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to explain that. I mean, one is that it's not like a ton of people are voting for both of them. So when you're a 50-50 state like Wisconsin, you know, one state, one 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 year, the Democrats could have a slight edge, and another year, the Republicans could have a slight edge. And so, you know, it's not like even twenty or even ten percent of the electorate is voting for Tammy Johnson one year and Ron Johnson the next year. And also, these are you know they don't come onto the ballot at the same time, so these these are different pools of voters that are voting in these elections. So, um, you know, sometimes. You know, one of them is running with a Democratic president uh, in the in office, and sometimes the other is running with a Republican president in the office in office, and that can help or hurt you depending on what the answer to that is. And and also sometimes they're running against weak opponents, and sometimes they're running against strong opponents. So it is anomalous from a national point of view because fewer states, you know, there's fewer and fewer examples of states with split Senate delegations, and. And the, I think the most interesting part of the question is that not only do we have two senators from different parties, but they are 
by any measure the biggest odd couple in the Senate. They are further apart ideologically and in their voting records than any two same senators from from the same state. So we're looking at the potential swing of 13 seats in the Assembly. So this goes from a swing of 13 seats in a 99-seat chamber, the difference between Republicans having a 21-seat edge and the Democrats having a five-seat edge. Now, is this for presidential years or gubernatorial years, or does so it I, depend? So it does depend. And, and, the, and the math behind that was I went back and looked at 2022, and I just basically said, hypothetically speaking, if everybody voted the same way for the state assembly that they voted for governor, in other words, I just plugged the Tony Evers vote for governor uh, and, and the Tim Michaels vote for governor into every legislative race, it would be a 13 seat swing. In other words, if you just use the governor's numbers, Democrats would have ended up with a five seat edge because Tony Evers won his race by three and a half points. Um, but if you use um, under the new maps, but if you did the same exercise under the old map, you know, Republicans would still have a massive majority, even while losing the statewide vote by three and a half points. So, you know, the actual numbers are going to depend on the cycle, but they're also going to depend on you know, there are going to be some races where the legislative candidate um, for one party overperforms the top of the ticket or underperforms the top of the ticket. And if they're an incumbent, they're probably going to overperform the top of the ticket. So it's kind of a rough sense. I was trying to give readers a rough sense of the, the magnitude of the change from the old map to the new map. So it could be the difference between a 50-49 legislature and a... 6237 Republican edge in the legislature. We're not going to get under these new maps anything like the 25 seat or 28 seat or whatever margin in the assembly that the Republicans have had for more than a decade. Have you taken a look and compared to what redistricting did in Michigan versus Wisconsin? Are they drawing the same types of districts? Because these are two very similar states. Uh, yeah, so I haven't looked closely at the Michigan map, but you know, you, in the in the case of the Wisconsin map, I mean, I, you know, and we talked about this. I mean, the geography of the state does favor Republicans, and that's because the Democratic where Democrats live, Democratic voters are more geographically concentrated. You think about the best examples are Milwaukee and Madison, so that means they're they're not as efficiently spread out across more districts, all things being equal, and so to try to equalize that in the sense of, you know, creating as many blue seats as red seats, you have to draw a different kind of map. For example, in Dane County, um, if you look at these maps, if you look at the new maps and all the maps that tried to come up with sort of, that aspired to be 50-50 maps, you have to sort of spread that Dane County Democratic vote across more districts. So you have districts fanning out from Dane County into neighboring counties um, so that, you know, so that all the Democratic voters aren't confined to a minimum, you know, handful of districts. So I assume, you you know, in other states, now, some states, this geography is much more impactful than other states. I think, you know, for example, if you look at Pennsylvania, it would probably, or New York State, you'd have a more extreme example of the political geography favoring Republicans. Um, so that was, you know, that's been lurking there in this whole fight over the maps is whether a politically neutral map is one that 
sort of defers to the political geography of the state or one that that tries to match, you know, the legislative races overall with the overall distribution of Democratic and Republican voters statewide. Where are we most likely to see a change? You mean geographically? Yes. Well, I know that, you know, and again, I haven't spent a ton of time in the weeds on these maps. I know that that there are um, the Democrats have a chance to win more seats in the Fox Valley and Green Bay area. Um, I think they'll have a chance in the Milwaukee area because what's happened over time in metropolitan Milwaukee is that um, as the suburbs closer in the Wow counties that are closer to Milwaukee County, but not in Milwaukee County, uh, as they get less red, meaning the Republican margins are decreasing in the outer suburbs. Um, what Republicans have done is that they've shifted some of these suburban districts further to the west and north. Um, they're kind of been chasing their voters further out from Milwaukee in order to keep the districts um, red, Republican. Um, so uh, the Democratic strategy is to shift some of those districts back geographically to what where they were in the old days when... <laughs> You could have a district straddling Milwaukee County and, let's say, Ozaki County, and it would be a safe Republican seat. Well, now that's no longer a safe Republican seat because not only have the Milwaukee, the inner suburbs within Milwaukee County gotten very, very Democratic, but you know parts of Ozaki County have gotten much more purple as opposed to being very Republican. So you're going to see changes there. And like I said, you're going to see changes in uh, Dane County, um, the kind of changes I talked about. And then you'll probably see some changes in individual kind of clusters in the state where there's a Democratic hub town or hub city, and where in some cases that Democratic community might have been split up between two seats in order to create two Republican seats. You might see a situation where there's now a Democratic seat that's more centered on a Democratic city. Yeah, it sure looks to me Sheboygan is the prime example of that. Yeah, I think there's some examples in the North and West, too. Uh, there's some other cities that were kind of split up under the old map mm -hmm. in order to dilute that Democratic vote. Eau, so, Eau Claire might be another example. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. So if, if I had told you, and we've been doing these conversations for a long time now, hey, Craig, the Democrats are going to be... Uh, getting votes out of Brookfield, they're going to split Brookfield in half. You would have laughed at me if I'd said that was going to happen in a few years, but that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's such a change. And, you know, because it's not only that these communities like Brookfield used to be Republican, they used to be very Republican, and, then you, and they used to be getting more Republican with every election. So it was like a, it wasn't just a reality, it was also kind of the trajectory they were on. And, and this process, this trend line was, you know, operated through the 90s uh, and through the 2000s and into the 2010s, and it kind of peaked, I think, with the with the midterm election of 2014, Scott Walker's, um, you know, winning a second term. That was kind of like the peak performance at the, at, you know, in gubernatorial races um, for Republicans in these suburbs. And then it started to go the other way in the Trump era with the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and certainly during his presidency and now even during the Biden presidency. So to see, you know, these very significant communities kind of go, you know, in one direction for, for a few decades and then just reverse course and start going in the other direction is pretty, 
it's a pretty um, remarkable shift. Well, and we saw that happen in Chicago probably 15, 20 years ago. That's They were way ahead of yeah. Wisconsin. Detroit would be another example. The Twin Cities would be another example. So that, that's been happening around the country. Uh, Milwaukee's a little late to the game. Yeah, it's like um, it's like we're just, you know, there's all sorts of reasons you can point to for why it's been happening. Some of it has to do with integration. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I think a lot of people look at this through the lens of, well, you know, Trump is, you know, people don't love Trump. These suburban voters don't love Trump or they're upset about Dobbs ruling on abortion. But it's also, like you said, another way to look at it is this is a, a trend that that is happening in the Milwaukee suburbs, uh, but later um, than it happened in the suburbs of a lot of northern cities. And then, you know, to the other part of your question, it's always hard to separate um, two kinds of political change on the map. And, and one is, you know, essentially the same voters um, shifting because, you know, it's not the same Republican Party it was 20 years ago. And so, you could have a traditional Republican voter in a traditional Republican suburb suddenly suddenly becoming less enamored of the new Republican Party because it's not the old Republican Party that they that appealed to them. But then the other piece of this process, the other kind of change, is what you're talking about, which is demographic change. I mean, some of these communities are getting more diverse, and and aside from getting more diverse, you could have um, voters, you know, who used to live. You could have white voters, white college-educated voters who used to live in Milwaukee County moving out to, um, or from some other part of the country, moving into these, you know, communities like Peterburg or Mequon in Ozaki County or Brookfield in Waukesha County. And so different, you get new people. I mean, you get old, older people, you know, no longer part of the electorate, either because they're retiring and moving into Sunbelt or they're dying. And you have new voters either because they're aging into the electorate, they're younger, or they're moving into these communities from somewhere else. We'll be right back. Craig Gilbert from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel with us at SlyesOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. We're back with Craig Gilbert from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and we're talking about redistricting today in the new maps. want to thank our sponsors, Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, Craig, so these maps... uh, kind of have a different timetable as far as when they make the difference. Explain the what's going on in the Senate, because that is very confusing. So, you know, we have a new map. Um, the Assembly, obviously, every member of the 99th seat Assembly is elected every two years, but state senators serve four years. And so we have these staggered elections where, you know, the, the, there's 17 members representing even-numbered 
seats out of the 33 seats and 16 members representing odd number seats. And so two years ago, it was the, I believe it was the odd numbered seats. So there were 17 state Senate seats decided in 2022. And now with these new maps, there's going to be the 16 even numbered districts decided in 2024. And of course, the districts are changing, but the 17 senators that were elected in 2022 are still in office and they're still representing those numbered districts, even though the districts have changed. Um, but that means that Republicans won 12 of the 17 seats that were up in 2022. So they start out with a 12 to 5 advantage. And then you've got um, 16 more seats being elected this time. So for Democrats to win the state Senate in 2024, um, they would need to pick up 12 seats to add to their five to get to 17. So they need to win 12 and out of 16. But if Republicans win more than four seats, they, they are going to hang on to uh, the state Senate. And when you look at the new maps, um, there six of the 16 seats that I'm talking about that are up in 2024 have a strong Republican lean. So there's pretty much no way that Democrats can win control of the state Senate in 2024 under these new maps, but they can win control in the future, um, just not this cycle when it comes to the state Senate. And one interesting sidelight here is that there was at least one map um, before the state Supreme Court that uh, was the map that was offered by the so-called right petitioners, a bunch of um, a group of academics, mathematicians, and social scientists that kind of looked at this issue and actually designed a map that was meant to put the state Senate in play in 2024 based on how the districts were drawn, based on how the districts were numbered. And under that map, the Democrats would have actually had a chance, a real chance, to win control of the state Senate in 2024. I think that was probably one reason why um, Republican legislators, fearing uh, that they might get, an e uh, from their point of view, an even worse map than the Evers maps, uh, if it were left to the state Supreme Court, they went ahead and passed the Evers maps and kind of put it on the governor to sign his own maps, which he did. But they got a little bit of a win out of that in the sense that they have the certainty, the all but certain certainty of hanging on to the state Senate uh, this cycle. I saw the look on the governor's face when he first heard that majority leader Devin Lemahue said, yeah, we're going to pass these. Uh, he didn't look like he believed it, but he also looked like he was shocked. So my my question is, do you think they called his bluff? I think they did. I mean, they. I don't know how much of this was, how much of the way this played out was calculated or what they foresaw, but, you know, originally or initially they passed a series of maps that were kind of like the governor's maps, but not exactly. And they, they sort of said, Hey, the governor should sign these because they're almost just like his maps. And the governor said, no, they're not almost just, they're not my map. So I'll sign my map. He said, which said, then they called his bluff. And, and it, you know, the, there's another element to this, which makes it kind of tricky in terms of whether it's a total win a win for one party or the other, because, um, the, I guess one of the arguments for Evers to sign the maps is, you know, now instead of having a court dictated resolution, 
you actually have a legislated resolution. You have new maps that have now been signed by a Democratic governor and approved by a Republican legislature. So you would think that that would make these new maps uh, more bulletproof when it comes to any further lawsuits. Um, because again, we're taught because the Republican legislators enacted these maps. And of course, they're more deferential to maps that have been legislated. Um, and so that was kind of an argument on the Democratic side for signing these maps. Um, and we could still get more litigation. Um, but, uh, but, you know, one would think, um, that the maps would be, um, more resistant to further court challenge now. But on the other hand, again, you have the situation with the state Senate where, uh, and also the fact that the Evers maps overall weren't quite as favorable to Democrats as some of the other maps before the Supreme Court. So I had a former state senator, a Democrat, tell me he thought the best the Democrats could do under these maps this election would be 14. Well, that uh, that isn't uh, getting them across the Rubicon, but it does take the supermajority away for the Republicans, which is a big deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and they're not, but they're, yeah, in the state Senate, I'm certainly not going to have a supermajority in the state assembly. Well, and they, they technically don't have now, they have, although they're close. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think if there's out of the 16, there are six strong Republican maps. I think there are 10 that are either Democratic or, or there might be a toss up one in there. So they could actually, and your, your source may be right on this. I think I think they, on paper, they could get to 15, but I think that would depend on what the circumstances are in that 15th seat, which I think on paper is a pretty purple district, but it may be that the Republicans, there are reasons to think the Republicans are going to win that district under most circumstances. So yeah, so they're going to end up presumably with 15 at the, at the out, at the outside, um, and possibly 14. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take future cycles, um, to get to a point where Democrats could, could imagine, you know, having a unified government, if they can hang on to the office of governor and then carve out, you know, narrow majorities in both chambers and the legislature, that's, that's not going to happen in 2024. It could happen in 2026. So it's, it's kind of interesting as we look at all this. Uh, Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty said the other day on Upfront that, in fact, uh, he doesn't believe that the, the way the laws are written on redistricting in our Constitution, that there should be any uh, consideration for partisan tilt when drawing these districts that is, it's strictly geographic. Will they make that argument to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals with Diane Sykes? Yeah, well, I mean, so there's some interesting aspects to that argument because, of course, the maps that have been in place the last 12 years um, have, you know, were absolutely written with politics in mind. Um, they were Republican gerrymanders that didn't just defer the political geography of the state, but they, which, which again, uh, features a, an advantage for the Republicans, but they went way beyond that and made that Republican advantage much bigger than would be justified just by the geography of the state. So we've had 12, we've got six election cycles of maps 
that were, you know, that were politically designed to maximize the number of Republican seats and minimize the number of Democratic seats. So, um, uh, so, you know, Republicans have been making the argument in this new reality when there's a liberal majority on the state Supreme Court that it should be about the political geography of the state, but that, but that's not, you know, that their own maps went beyond the political geography of the state uh, in the last two rounds of redistricting. But it's in and of itself, you know, I think it's a it's an argument, you know, it's a serious argument that you can make. But at the same time, it sort of depends on whether it's the court drawing a map or, I mean, obviously the governor and the legislature can draw whatever map they want as long as it meets kind of certain legal standards. Um, they can do whatever they want with partisanship and politics. It was a debate in this case because it was before the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court said, we want a map, a politically neutral map. And so then the question becomes, well, what's the definition of a uh, politically neutral map? So um, it's a, you know, it's a really fascinating aspect of this whole debate. And when you have states where um, Democratic voters are more physically concentrated than Republican voters. And the Democratic counter to that argument is, um, yeah, that's true. That, you know, if you just drew a bunch of random maps, they're going to they're going to favor Republicans because of this geography. But if you can create a 50 50 map in a 50 50 state and do it without going to extremes when it comes to how the districts are drawn and whether they're compact and whether they, you know, are within municipal boundaries and county lines and contiguous, then, you know, what's wrong with trying to achieve a level playing field in a state that's 50-50? That's the Democratic argument. Well, there's no greater example of that than the far northwest district that was drawn that includes the cities of Superior, Ashland, Bayfield, and Hurley. Because, you know, in all the northern parts of those counties are very liberal and the southern parts of those counties are more like the rest of northwestern Wisconsin. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So those are those are a bunch of uh, Swedes and Finns that have been progressive going all the way back, you know, 100 years in the state of Wisconsin. There yeah. were there were there were elections where a Democrat won Douglas County and lost Dane County. That's how Democratic <laughs> Douglas is going. I think I think Adley Stevenson won Douglas County. Yeah, uh, it's, it does blow your mind when you go back and look at look at what the map used to be. It is Marty Schreiber lost Dane County, but won Sheboygan and Manitowoc County. How's that for a, a little? Well, unpack? I remember looking back in the wonky suburbs, and you know, New Berlin was more Democratic um, than you know Shorewood, uh, that kind of thing. Um, if you go back far enough in time, isn't that something? Yeah. Let me ask you one question uh, before we're done today. When it comes to drawing the maps, I've heard two arguments that all it takes is somebody that is creative and smart and really understands the state and every precinct, that that's still the best way to get the most favorable map for your side versus the technology that's used today. Have you kind of followed that debate at all? Yeah. And, and there is, the technology is incredibly powerful. Um, it does require both because you can do certain things with the technology that are just really hard to do by hand when it comes to uh, even issues like we were talking about with the state Senate, when you've got, you know, staggered elections and you have to try to figure out odd numbers and even numbered districts and 
you know, what the implications of that are for each succeeding election cycle. Um, so the technology is incredibly powerful. Another piece of this where you kind of need both the technology and the, the kind of strategic understanding of the map, and you alluded to this earlier, is, you know, this map is not static. I mean, these voting patterns change. And the map, the, you know, the, land, the political landscape is a fluid, dynamic thing. And so you have to make certain assumptions if you're gaming this thing out to future election cycles about whether some of the trends we've been talking about are just going to continue at the same rate. In other words, are, the, are these suburban communities we've been talking about going to continue to move in a less Republican direction over time? And what's going to, you have to make assumptions about every part of the state is the rural, are the rural parts of the state going to continue to get ever more Republican? And depending on those assumptions, that's going to affect, you know, the partisan implications of the map six years from now. And again, that requires kind of a human being, uh, say, making a political judgment about this. Craig Gilbert, always a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. All right. Stand by just a moment. This is Sly, Sly'sOffice.com. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.